Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna. Joined this week with the always lovely Caitlin Dividock. Caitlin, how are you tonight? Uh, the sun is shining in Western Pennsylvania, so I'm doing fantastic. How are you, know, you Garrett? <laughs> I, I am the same way, you know, ever since uh, ever since we, we lost that hour of sleep and, you know, the sun has started to go down much later and later, I have been in a much better mood. You know, it, the sun not going down until like 7.30, that to me single, signals it's the start of playoff <laughs> hockey in Pittsburgh. You know, mm-hmm. you just got to get into that mood. It's it, I, I'm just a much happier person knowing that <laughs> winter is finally on its way out and, you know, we can look ahead and finally spring forward to use the overused cliche. <laughs> yeah. Um, the way I know is other than the fact that the sun stays up longer, which is great because seasonal depression is a thing. <laughs> um, my, my local bar uh, gets summer shandy in from lining Kugel on tap. And that's how I know that not only is spring here, but <laughs> Postseason hockey is like so close. I can taste it. I have my, you know, ice cold <laughs> summer shandy. I have my wings. I have the sun at my back and I'm at a bar and it's seven o'clock and it's still daytime and it's the most wonderful thing. So <laughs> it is. No, it's it really, it's the per- that really is the perfect storm to sit down and, and, and watch hopefully what's, what's going to be. Uh, a really long playoff run for the Penguins. But before we get to there, before the Penguins actually officially clinch a playoff spot, we have to talk a little bit about uh, what has happened, you know, recently with the Penguins. And I, and I guess, you know, it's been a couple of days since they played it. But, you know, just to recap very quickly, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins beat the New York Rangers. Uh, what was it? Um, Monday night? Was it Monday night? They beat the New York Rangers 5-2? to two? It was Sunday night. You're right. You're right. It was Sunday night. Sunday night, they beat the New York Rangers by a score of five to two. And Kay, I, I guess we'll go right into it. One of the bigger talking points from that game was the the goal scoring of Teddy, Teddy Bluger. B. Yeah, T- Teddy, Teddy B. And uh, Kate, let's let's just get right into it and let's be blunt. Teddy Bluger has been another really shot in the arm for the Penguins in terms of this youth movement coming up from Wilkes Barre and you know, using his enthusiasm to to finally being in the NHL after waiting in Wilkes-Barre for so long, he's coming up, he's motivated, dedicated, you know, he wants to stay in this lineup. And the game against the Rangers where he scored two goals, he was a plus two, uh, played uh, 14-42 in total, uh, total ice time. It was a really solid game for Bluger against the Rangers. And really, it's been more of the same ever since Bluger has been in this lineup. I think he's been a very positive influence uh, in terms of depth scoring, looking at the overall impact that he's had on the bottom six. Now that Malkin, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later, but Evgeny Malkin is still injured and he's filled in quite admirably in Malkin's absence. So, Kate, I'll throw it over to you. What are your impressions of Teddy Bluger thus far? And I guess we'll go even more further looking ahead where he may go, where he may, uh, where his position in the lineup may be uh, as the regular season comes to a close. Uh, yeah, well, you were very accurate in that whole spiel of yours. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, last year it was beaten to death. And even, I guess, in the beginning of this year as well, um, just depth scoring was just beaten like a dead horse. Like it was it was the only thing that all Penguins fans and Penguins media talked about that this team desperately needed to, you know, have some assistance for the top six. And finally, 
after the first experiment to bring in uh, Derek Broussard and even before then, Riley Shane and try to get some scoring on the bottom six, it just never, obviously, never seemed to work out. We've also beaten that dead horse uh, pretty often, so I'll glaze by that quickly. But, you know, depth scoring is extremely important, especially at this time in the season when you're looking towards the playoffs. Um, you can't rely on your top six to do all the work. And especially now with the Penguins, so as as hurt as they are, especially in the forward group and in the defensive group, with Malkin being out and with Olimata being out and Latang being out, like, not that Olimata is a scorer, but obviously Malkin and Latang are. And whenever you don't have those two contributing on the score sheet, you then look to your obvious superstars with Crosby and in some uh, in the same vein, I guess, uh, Jake Gensel. But after that, with Kessel being in the weird uh, even strength funk that he's been in, you you need depth scoring. And Bluger has been a really, really significant part of that. He and Jared McCann and Nick Bukestad, which we'll we'll get to later as well, have just been, like you said, a shot in an arm, shot in the arm for this team. And with the way Bluger has stepped up and stepped into that third line center role and occasionally he's been on the wing as well he's pretty versatile he's just been so so helpful and a a ball of energy for this club I mean in the past two games he has three goals and one of them shorthanded like it's been so so good to see him finally get the chance to show Jim Rutherford and Mike Sullivan and the rest of the organization that he does deserve to be up um, in the NHL and I think after the season ends whenever that whenever that comes I think you'll see him have a permanent role in this forward group, whether it be somewhere um, on the the fourth line as a center or a wing. So I'm really, really excited for the future of Teddy B. And uh, I think he's been really, really great. It's funny because, you know, it's a valid argument to make. There's definitely some truth behind it that, over over the past, let's say, 10 years, over the course of the, the Crosby-Malkin era, much has been said about the fact that the Penguins really haven't been able to develop worthy players, uh, NHL-caliber players, early on in the, in the NHL draft, whether that be through the draft or free agency, bring these players in and to contribute effectively alongside Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby. And I think Teddy Bluger... Although, you know, being drafted in the second round in, in 2012, being drafted in the first round of the NHL draft, you're really not guaranteed any success even with that, the label of being a first-round draft pick, whatever pedigree you have. And translating your, your junior, your college, your AHL success into the NHL is incredibly difficult, as we've seen over the time with uh, a lot of Penguins prospects who have flamed out. But for, for, for whatever reason, you know, looking back over the last couple of years with Teddy Bluger looking like he will be the most recent example of this, Teddy Bluger, Connor Sherry, uh, Scott Wilson, Jake Gensel, uh, Brian Rust, all of these guys have been drafted with, with little to no fanfare, no pomp or circumstance around any of these guys, and they've come up and they've contributed very effectively, acted as wonderful depth components to to rounding out the, the the forward the forward group for the Penguins, and we've we've already been reaping those rewards with two Stanley Cups over the last couple of years. So I think Teddy Bluger, I mean the way it looks right now, ten points in twenty three games so far. Like you said, assuming that this is Matt Cullen's last year, Teddy Bluger could very well start next season out 
in a permanent role in that bottom six on the fourth line or the third line, you know, whatever kind of plan they have for him, that remains to be seen. But this is very encouraging, even though the Penguins haven't really had the opportunity, uh, whether they're, whether they've been trading away their draft picks for, for uh, rental pieces, or like I said, the, the draft picks haven't been working out the ability to find these diamonds in the rough and for these players to, again, contri- contribute effectively, not just become bodies for for a soulless penalty kill, but to score alongside Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin is no easy task for any player. And for these players to come in recently and do it, it's a promising sign for the, the short-term and hopefully the long-term future uh, of this team. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, that even that carries over into the Mc- the Jared McCann and, and Bugstad, I guess, era that we have now where, you know, these young players that are becoming uh, a, a regulars and, and regulars on the score sheet as well are just being just a huge, huge help to the Penguins and their recent run. Like, I, I guarantee you if we had the roster or if the Penguins had the roster that they did before the trade deadline, like, or even, you know, a month prior whenever McCann and Bugstad came in, like, this team honestly, in my opinion, isn't in this position, the one that they're in currently. So a lot of uh, stick taps and hat tips to those, you know, young black ace type uh, players. And you mentioned the likes of Nick Bukestad and Jared McCann, and we get into that conversation a little bit further in our interview, our great interview with um, the athletic Seth Warabaugh. Let's let's touch on it a little bit here and, and save some more of it for, for the interview. But Looking at specifically Jared, Jared McCann, because I think Jared McCann, when reflecting on the trade that the Penguins made with the Florida Panthers, sending uh, sending Shahan and Broussard to F- Florida for Bukestad and McCann now, when reflecting on it, Jared McCann has been, he, he's been something, he's been a player that's defied any and all expectations, at least in my opinion. I mean, there, there were some definite upsides when trading for McCann, looking at his uh, the youth aspect specifically, I think looking at a 22 year old player, you know, who, who, who was drafted and really didn't find much success with the Vancouver Canucks or Florida Panthers coming to Pittsburgh. And maybe it is that cliche change of scenery, whatever it may be, but in the 27 games that he's played with, with the Pittsburgh Penguins, 11 goals, five assists for 16 points. Now, some people are going to put an asterisk by that and say, well, McCann's only been good for scoring shorthanded goals excuse me empty net goals and first off goals are goals when a player and and his agent go to look for a raise they're going to look at that score sheet and say I scored this many goals it doesn't matter that I scored three shorthanded goals and five empty net goals I scored eight goals so so and so should get a raise based on his based on his previous production and his current production but that technical jargon out of the way uh, Jared McCann has exploded offensively for the Penguins and has become, again, another solid depth piece who looks to be cementing himself with a permanent role for the Penguins for the foreseeable future. I mean, a 22-year-old forward who was on kind of shaky ground, like I said, early on in his career, has come to the Penguins and has really retransformed his game alongside Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby, which is another awesome development for for a team who devotes so much of its salary cap to the stars like Phil Kessel, Chris Letang, Malkin, and Crosby, to find these players like a Jared McCann, Teddy Bluger, who 
come on the for for one come on the cheap in terms of the the salary cap implications but again they are showing that they are competent enough to play alongside these generational talents is is a promising promising sign yeah you mentioned that like you you're surprised by how well Jeremy McCann has you know done since he he came to this team but i bet you like a hundred billion dollars garrett that the guy that isn't surprised at how well mccann's been faring is mr jim rutherford i bet he is 100 percent like yes i already knew this he had so much upside he's young speedy has a good shot can skate well like he has had him locked down ever since mccann first was drafted and I think, like he said, he's he's even admitted this. He's been, you know, having one eye on the Penguins and, you know, another eye looking over at Jared McCann in both Vancouver and, and Florida. And I think as soon as he saw the opportunity to, you know, finally bring him onto the team that he manages, like it was a breath of relief. Like he was like, yes, I got the guy that I've been wanting for so long. And now I'm going to see him thrive in an environment that's, you know, a, a, of winning where where the history is so rich. In, in winning and you know he's just been phenomenal in the places that Mike Sullivan has put him so yeah I mean it, it may come uh, to a surprise to all of us uh, fans um, and, and people across the league alike but I guarantee you Mr. Rutherford is like nah I knew this and I knew it and I told you so <laughs> and that, that's an interesting point you make because you know, I, I haven't been one, especially looking back at the trade deadline, looking back at the moves that Rutherford has made in free agency over the last couple of years. It, it, I've been on a slippery slope with Jim Rutherford, as I'm sure many other people, possibly even yourself. I, I don't want to speak for you, obviously. But, you know, looking at some of the transactions that he's made over the last couple of years, uh, Matt, you, you know, the bad come to mind. Uh, Matt Hunwick, Antti Niemi, Ryan Reeves. Uh, I guess now Derek Broussard fits that mold as well. But at the same time, for as many misses as he has, he seems to come back and either correct his mistakes or, or you know, hit a couple of home runs. And the Nick Bukestad, Jared McCann trade is looking like an absolute grand slam at this point. So in that sense, looking at uh, Jim Rutherford, if he has been, you know, if he's really been all over Jared McCann since the moment he came in the league with Vancouver, now finally being able to have this player that he's coveted for so long um, under his, you know, under his, um, under his eye, under, under his control now, it's, I, I, I have to give credit to Jim Rutherford because shipping away Derek Broussard and Riley Sheehan, who really weren't doing much of anything, you know, it's been documented now that, that Derek Broussard really didn't have the best of time here in Pittsburgh now that he's gone and, and and McCann is here, I, I keep saying McCann, and I we, we, I I keep leaving out Nick Bukestad. Nick, Nick Bukestad has been as just as intr- instrumental as as Jared McCann has. Maybe it's just because Jared McCann is younger, and you know maybe he does have a little bit more upside. And you know the, the goals that he's scored have been flashy. The, the situations that he's been in on the ice have been much more prominent. But both of these players. I have to give a round of applause to Jim Rutherford because now being able to reflect on uh, the moves past the trade deadline and where this team stands heading into a playoff run, this team looks like it's it's ready to compete. It may have its flaws. I think every team has its flaws, no matter how good the Tampa Bay Lightning 
uh, have been this year, no matter how many games they've won, I still think there are there are ways that you can find in a seven-game series to make adjustments and beat your opponent. I don't think Tampa Bay is going to go into the Stanley Cup playoffs and, and win 16 games in a row. That's ludicrous. So, But in terms of the Penguins' perspective to finish out this point, to finish off this tangent and, and finally let, let you get a word in, <laughs> this team now, compared to where it was two, three, four months ago, it looks much more complete. Everyone looks much more motivated. These players, whether they have bought in, whether it's the case of them having bought into whatever Mike Sullivan and Jim Rutherford have been telling them, whether it was they knew they were good and, you know, for whatever reason, they just couldn't develop the chemistry. And now we're starting to see the effects of this chemistry being developed with all of these line mates. Whatever the case may be, this team now where it stands with five, with five games left in the regular season looks ready, as ready as they have been throughout any point in this regular season looks ready to conquer whatever whatever stands in front of them uh, as it pertains to a Stanley Cup playoff run. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I I've been thinking about this a lot lately. That like this team and I guess their situation is just has shades of 2016 uh, in it. Um, just how the team started out so terribly in that 2016 season and then obviously Mike uh, Sullivan was brought in Johnson was canned and um, you know they they did that you know proverbial flip the switch thing whenever the calendar turned and suddenly became more complete and you know almost impossible to beat and I'm not saying they're impossible to beat now that like like you said that would also be ludicrous but it's just it's it's more satisfying watching this team on the ice um, rather than being so frustrated and being so, I guess, angry isn't the right word, but but it's close uh, to watch this team, you know, play as poorly or as frustratingly as they did early. And now to see them, like you said, be more complete and, and beat teams uh, that are bad, you know, in, in a, a prominent way, like the Rangers and Buffalo recently, like it just, it's all... And I think Adam Gretz has, has written this a couple times up on Pensburg, um, that they're just becoming more complete, that things are coming together. Um, there are just like a few loose ends that still need to be tied up. Um, but other than that, I think they're they're very much so geared towards um, having a, a pretty decent run in this year's playoffs. So it's been exciting. And I think one of the players who has contributed to this point to this this turnaround of the Penguins, and one of the players who, uh, if history is any guide, will continue to be a driving force for this team a- as they go into uh, what is hopefully an- another deep playoff run, is that of the almighty Mr. Jake and Bake himself, Jake Gensel. <laughs> and this is this is a topic when you know we when we were discussing the the, the topics to to discuss on this episode of the podcast. This was a topic that I really was excited to talk about because Jake Gensel has just transformed this season into an absolute monster. And I mean, 38 goals, 33 assists, good for 71 points in 77 games. Two goals away from the 40 goal mark is Jake Gensel. That is blowing my mind. I mean, (laughs) People could say, oh, he's had it in him all along, looking back at, you know, what he 
he's been inching up to this point in his professional career. Looking back at his first stint with the Penguins in 2016-17, in 40 games, he registered 33 points, 16 goals, 17 assists. The following year, he played a full 82-game 82 82-game 82 slate, registering 48 points, 22 goals with 26 assists. Now, after and it's funny because I'm going to bring up the fact that he signed a contract extension, <laughs> and we have locked this man down for the ver- for the foreseeable future. He will be alongside Sidney Crosby for the next several years, which I am very happy about. If these are the results we're going to get with Jake Gensel along Sidney Crosby, two goals away from 40 goals, I I mean this is this is incredible. This is a wonderful development for the penguins and you know it kind of goes back to the point i was making earlier with with all of these guys coming up from wilkes bear and you know successfully coming into their own um and and playing playing their game in in nhl in, in an nhl rink and where the competition is obviously this is the premier competition uh it's much more faster much more difficult for, for but for jake gensel specifically to to just completely explode on this on the score sheet has just been a wonderful development to watch all season and looking at his, his postseason numbers i mean he's he's become he's become one of the premier goal scoring threats in terms of postseason scoring over the last couple of years so if history is any guide i mean jake gensel let, let's hope that let's hope that jake gensel doesn't cool down he doesn't look like he's going to cool down anytime <laughs> soon which is great to see but Kay, i, I want to get your thoughts on on the incredible season that Jake Gensel is having. I think when you put it in perspective with him potentially reaching uh, the 40 goal mark is that he joins such an exclusive short list of people that have played in Pittsburgh and they're no short of superstar names. I mean, it includes obviously Crosby and Malkin, but it also includes Yager, Lemieux, Kovalev, James Neal, Peter Nedved. Gosh. There's too many consonants close together. Um, But yeah, he joins such an exclusive list and such an impressive list. And he's 24 years old. Like that is, it's mind blowing how well he has done this season. And I remember whenever he first signed his contract, um, I think I I was the one to put, put that, that press release out for at least our site. Um, And the initial reactions to people who weren't, fans of the penguins and don't follow them as closely as uh like you and i do um everyone that outside of the pittsburgh bubble i guess you could say was just like oh he's just a product of Sidney crosby like he plays with Sidney crosby obviously he's going to score a ton because crosby's going to be setting him up all the time and crosby's going to be finding him on the ice all the time like that couldn't i I, sure, that contributes to it. That contributes to anybody who plays with Sidney Crosby because he's Sidney Crosby. But, but that is such a disservice to how good Jake Gensel is. Like, I, I didn't want to come off as a homer whenever I was, like, almost slightly defending him to these, you know, people that are like, oh, he's, you know, not as good as everyone thinks he is. That's such an overpayment for his contract. I can't believe they locked him down for, like, five more years like you don't even know if he's going to be good without Sidney Crosby there Sidney Crosby's you know in the latter half of his his years in the NHL like that seems so strange to do this and here I am thinking like I don't know if this is just my bias but he's been so so good and I mean that was already evident in his postseason performances um 
like he's he just turns it on so much in the postseason that everyone I guess was blinded to the fact that he actually is very talented um and just because it was happening on a big stage you know people were like oh, I guess it's just the Crosby effect and you know the adrenaline from being in the postseason and doing playoff runs and playing rivals like you know the Capitals and the Flyers and at, to some extent um the the Blue Jackets even though they're more of like a little brother <laughs> um <laughs> But just to see him literally two goals away from a 40-goal mark with the company that is, has reached the 40-goal mark, it's, it's, so, it's a, just a testament to how good he actually is. And it's kind of nice to finally see that in action rather than, you know, yelling at clouds and <laughs> trying to get people to understand that he's actually very good. So it's nice to have that ev evidence. It's nice to see it happen in the regular season so that the proof is there. Um, and I'm just I'm thrilled to see what he does in the playoffs, because if he's doing this in the regular season and we know his resume uh, for the postseason, I can't imagine what he has in store. I completely agree. I, it takes a special I think it really does take a special kind of player to play alongside Sidney Crosby, because I think Sidney Crosby demands. I think in part it's a, I think it's a two part. Um, a two-part equation. Sidney Crosby, I think, demands quite a bit out of his wingers. And why wouldn't you, when you're you are the, the greatest player, uh, the greatest player on the earth, and in in that same vein, looking at the way Sidney Crosby plays the game, and you can't really quantify things like Sidney Crosby's vision or the way he thinks the game, because you know that the the th thinking isn't reflected on the stat sheet. But because Sidney Crosby is so great, the way he the, the way he thinks of the game, how he views what's going on around him on the ice, that's such a hard thing to quantify. And I think Jake Gensel, obviously Jake Gensel is not Sidney Crosby, but Jake Gensel is the closest thing that Sidney Crosby has has had in quite some time to that that, that same kind of player who thinks the game on the same level. Uh, as Crosby does, being in the right place at the right time to score the goals when Sidney Crosby sets Jake Gensel up or vice versa, to think the game on that kind of level, to visualize where you are on the ice, that I guess it's hockey IQ, I guess you could use that cliche. It's not something that you can you know learn practice after practice after practice. I think you're either born with it or you're not. Jake Gensel was born with this kind of vision, and it's just awesome to watch it form alongside another fantastic player in Sidney Crosby. Yeah. And I just think that because he's so young, he's only, he's still only 24. Like he's going to be here whenever Crosby and Malkin and, you know, ultimately Kessel and Latang, uh, you know, hang it up. And honestly, he's probably, if he is still in Pittsburgh at that time, I guarantee you he gets the C after Crosby leaves. There's no doubt in my mind. I, that had not even crossed my mind until you said it, because in part, that, that just makes me incredibly sad to think uh, <laughs> someone in Pittsburgh other than Sidney Crosby will wear the C. I know. Um, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but really, putting it into that perspective, looking at it from, from, from that way, when, like you said, all those players are gone, I think Jake Gensel, I think he will be here, and I think it makes perfect sense. Where he, where he stands right now and where he may stand five, six, seven years down the road when all of those guys are gone. I think it makes perfect sense to put the C on him. I completely agree. I, I mean, I, I don't know if that sounds like super cheesy or obviously that I'm getting ahead of myself and 
the rose colored glasses are, are, you know, are on currently, but you know, I, I can't, when I think about the lineup, you know, with the obvious caveat that things are not going to be, you know, exactly the same in the roster. Um, I just, I, if he doesn't leave and I can't imagine him leaving, especially with the contract he just signed. Um, I just, personally, I don't know him in the locker room, obviously, but if he's had a mentor like Sidney Crosby that he's played on his wing for, for years, I just, it seems like the best option in my opinion. All right, let's flip the coin and talk about a couple of things that, you know, aren't as exciting as Jake Gensel possibly (laughs) hitting the 40 goal mark. We have to uh, talk about a couple of injuries here, but (laughs) yes, thankfully, you know, thankfully these injuries don't look incredibly long-term those injuries being to, uh, Genny Malkin and Chris Letang, and I guess to a lesser extent, Olimata, but mm-hmm. primarily um, M- uh, Malkin and Letang. Malkin, who was recently announced to have an upper body injury, we presume, uh, Kate, I don't know if um, it was officially announced that he does have uh, bruised or broken ribs. Uh, you know, coaches obviously, a lot of yeah. them keep that stuff in-house. So I am I was just going with upper body injury. I don't know if yeah. that's still the official diagnosis. Um, currently it's still, you know, the really vague upper body injury because, you know, that's how coaches work. Um, but you know, if you put two and two together, his injury came, you know, after the game with St. Louis where Bertuzzo just decided to drive his, you know, stick directly into the torso, like midsection of Malkin, basically exactly where his ribs are. And it's presumed, I mean, if you put the evidence um down it's he has either bruised ribs or broken ribs hopefully it's nothing too too serious but with the extent of his injury saying that he's week to week and you know the the evidence that we saw him just get crunched by Bortuzzo um it's just the easiest diagnosis to come to as a non-doctor the the game against St. Louis what was that that was March 16th I believe uh, something like that. I can't remember the exact date, but it was a Saturday. It was that matinee game that they were super flat and played like garbage. So at the time of recording, it's been almost two weeks since that game. Uh, I have not, I've, I've never experienced broken or bruised ribs. And, but I do know that it, they have to, you have to basically let them heal on their own and you can't really do much in terms of like actual procedures for, for something like that to heal. But two weeks out from that game actually happening, I don't. I, I wouldn't imagine he would be out for too much longer. I can't see him missing any any postseason action. I think if the postseason started tomorrow, I think Evgeny Malkin would play. But you know, yeah. with only a couple of games left, I, I don't know, kid. I don't know what you think. Whether they keep him out for just the remainder of the regular season, or do you think they they try and dress him maybe for the second to last game or the last game of the season just to get his juices flowing before the postseason actually begins? Um, I would say I'm leaning more towards not seeing him in like a full um, like game situation until probably I'd say the postseason at least. Um, I, just because I think we allude to this later on, but the Penguins are, playing really well right now the line combinations seem to have a lot of chemistry uh the playoff spot is all but locked up at this point i don't want to jinx it knock on some wood but um basically they're they're definitely into the postseason it just depends on you know where they end up in the seating 
but at this point, I, I think it would be almost silly to bring him back too early or now just because of where the Penguins are in the standings. Um, and like I, I alluded to earlier, where, you know, the, the second, third and fourth line have been playing so well, why, you know, jeopardize a potential uh, health issue, especially whenever you're going into the postseason, like why put him in, you know, now or too early and then have him, you know, potentially re-injure that, that, um, that rib and not be able to play in the postseason in general, which would be just not, <laughs> I wouldn't say catastrophic. But um, not having Malkin is obviously a significant blow to the roster. So there's only, I want to what, four or five games left. The only real opponent that is noteworthy is Carolina. Um, they have that home and home with Detroit. Um, they have the Preds on Friday. Uh, and then I think they close out the season with the Rangers. And the Rangers don't scare me at all. So I really don't expect him to come back unless you know, doctors clear him. He's absolutely 100% healed. Um, and he can go into the postseason, get contact in real situation games and be fine. But I wouldn't push him too early. I wouldn't be upset to not see him before the postseason either. To, just to wrap up this segment here, we would talk about, let's talk about Chris Letang and his injury. Uh, now his injury is, at least from what I, from what I know, from, from what I've read, it, it seems to be much more secretive. I haven't seen much of anything that, you know, any type of official diagnosis. The only thing that I can think of is that it was a re-aggravation of the injury that he suffered in the stadium series game. Uh, Kate, do you have any, uh, any additional information that you could shed light on uh, Latang's injury? Um, not that I know of actually the, the injury news came out sort of as a surprise. I think not only to me, but to most um, because he played, I forget what game it was. Uh, the night before and they you know you never saw him leave the bench you never saw him um you never like physically saw him get injured um and that isn't isn't to say that obviously if we see it or we don't see it that it didn't happen but i think you're right with the reaggravation um i think that it's it may be a precautionary type of thing um where since it happened in such a short amount of time and then he didn't play against the rangers like the rangers are not a tough competition and that was evident whenever the penguins scored five straight goals on them on sunday so like i think it was more like just a precaution type of thing where they were like hey we have the rangers on sunday we don't expect them to put up too much of a fight um so why don't you sit this one out you have the next you know three days three or four days to uh you know recover uh, take some skates, see how the injury, whatever the injury is, feels. Um, and then we have the Predators on Friday. So you can take it as, you know, is he a game-time decision? Not necessarily. He might be reported that he's a game-time decision by Mike Sullivan um, Thursday or even Friday morning and morning skate. Um, I just, I think, again, it's the same thing with Evgeny Malkin as it is with Latang. my opinion on it, that Latang is utilizing the several days off, the extra days off, um, and not playing in games that ne don't necessarily matter at this point because the Rangers were, that was a game that was probably going to be won and the Predators are not even in the division. I guess, I guess the only way that he would play is if the injury is 100% healed, as I mentioned earlier, and Mike Sullivan feels like, and I guess Jim Rutherford too, feels like, 
with the playoff race being as tight as it is, maybe we should insert him into the lineup if he's good to go. But if not, if we feel comfortable with our position, um, if we think we're playing good hockey, maybe have him sit out until the Sunday matchup with the Hurricanes, being it that that's the most important one. Have him play in that game if he's feeling up for it, if he's healthy, and then taking it from there. Um, but I don't know. It's it's that weird thing where you don't know. I mean, last time he was he was injured, he was listed as day to day too, and then suddenly it turned into longer term. And it hasn't been told that he's longer term now, but it's just it's a weird. He's been in a very weird injury situation. We know it's his neck. Uh, it was his neck whenever he injured it um, with the Flyers. And if it's a re-aggravation of his neck, then I say, with his history, keep him out as long as possible. I agree. I think the most important asset to the Penguins uh, is Chris Letang. I think he really facilitates the rest of the offense in terms of the breakout. And especially on the power play, I think his presence will also be missed. I think having him at 100% or as close to 100% as possible, that is desperately going to be needed uh, down the line as we head into the postseason. Especially with uh, Zach Trotman being in the lineup, I think the sooner he's out of the lineup, I, the better. Don't don't you, don't you dare, <laughs> don't you dare speak such ne- such negative words about the goats that is Zach Trotman. He has served his purpose. I feel is the best way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, moving on. We I touched on it a little bit in the injury housekeeping stuff, but uh, just a recap on the, the division standings. As of the recording of this podcast last night, we saw Columbus win. We saw Washington beat the Hurricanes. Um, and we saw the Islanders lose, I think it's actually to Columbus. So what that did was leapfrog the Penguins from third place in the Metro um, to second place in the Metro because of the Islanders uh, game in hand being wiped away. So right now the Pittsburgh Penguins are right in uh, the running with the division lead with the Capitals. Capitals have 98 points. Penguins have 95. Um, and then, of course, the game in hand has been wiped away with the Islanders. And now it's just the fact that the Penguins have a better um, record. Uh, shout out to the overtime loser point, which I hate, but is coming in handy at this point in the season. So um, I guess all eyes are, are turning on to, obviously, I think Carolina is going to get in, honestly. Um but Montreal definitely has the opportunity to leapfrog. They had a really, really strong game against Florida yesterday. They looked really solid. Um, and then Columbus, too. I mean, Columbus has been faltering, but they spanked the Islanders. So it's really anyone's game for that second wild card spot. It's going to be really fun to watch that uh, come to its conclusion. We were uh, talking about this off the air before we started recording, and I, and I, I was talking to you. I I, I, I want to put this, I, I want to put this out there to let everyone else know. I hope you feel the same way that I do when saying, if Columbus does not make the playoffs, it will be a very joyous occasion <laughs> just to just to know that you know. They they think that they got the chip off of their shoulder, you know, and they think that you know, oh, the Penguins aren't that that big of a deal the rest of the the rest of the metro and the rest of the east aren't that big of a deal we're going all in you know we kept Robrovsky and Panarin and uh, we have Matt Duchesne now and Ryan Ryan Zingle and just to see them fade away off into nothingness and potentially not even clinch a playoff spot is just going to be the absolute uh epitome of the, the you know the chef's kiss 
<laughs> just not watching them make the playoffs is it would be a wonderful sight, but it's going to be really tight coming down to the wire with with five or six games left for for all of these teams. Uh, as it, as it pertains to the Penguins, Kate, you you really you basically touched on everything. Uh, the the Penguins now hold uh, the second place spot in the Metro Division, tied with the Islanders. And you know there there still is quite a bit left to be uh, left to be determined in terms of seeding. But I think it's it's safe to say that the Penguins are going to make it. The Islanders are going to make it. Uh, I, I'm with you. I think the Hurricanes will make it as well. With now, with that being said, in terms of seeding, uh, does if the Penguins finish two or three, and the if the let's say the Penguins finish three, the Islanders finish two, I think based on the incredibly convoluted seeding system for the NHL playoffs, I think the Islanders would get the Penguins, and the Penguins yeah. would get so. As a first round matchup, as it stands right now, because I'm just speculating because, you know, obviously nothing else has been decided in terms of positioning. I would take, I would definitely take the Islanders first round, uh, especially if you, you look at some of their more advanced metrics and realizing that, you know, the, the highs that they've been riding over the last couple of weeks here, and, you know, they've really gotten that momentum since the start of the new year. Advanced metrics say that you know they, they 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 the Islanders may be coming back down to earth, and mm-hmm. if that's the case, right at the end of the regular season, heading into the postseason, I mean that's a perfect storm for the Penguins if they can get the Islanders in the first round, and if they can get past the Islanders in the first round, if the statistics the the advanced statistics are be, to be believed, get past the first round, and then all hell breaks loose, you would assume that the Penguins would get the Capitals once again in the second round, but but I would take that. I would definitely take that as a first round matchup. Yeah, for sure. Like you, you mentioned uh, the the metrics. They're crashing back to earth, and it's so true. The entire season, like obviously the Islanders at the beginning of the season were projected to not really do as well as they're doing. Um, and I guess that's that's truly a testament to how well Barry Trotz has you know come in and and reorganized that system and had them play a more that that trap that the Penguins didn't solve in in the second round last year but you said it that they've been riding the pdo wave for so so long this season and that's you know that that deals with uh the leonard and then grice and net and they were riding leonard for a long long time i want to say a couple to at least a few months and he was just playing out of his mind and i mean the islanders do have talents or talented players on their roster i mean you know you have barzal and all the other really decent forwards on that that roster. But, I mean, the goaltending was just crazy, crazy good. And now, they're like you said, they're crashing back to earth. So I'm, I'd am i really like to see the Penguins get them as a first-round draw to, you know, as they're down on their, their downswing, I guess I could say. It, it's nice to match up with them now. And I think even in the regular season, I wasn't too concerned about the Islanders whenever uh, the Penguins played them. And that was one of the games I actually got to go to. Um, and they, I just, you know, the Penguins really played well against them, and I really like that matchup. When it comes to the Hurricanes, however, the Hurricanes are the possession gods. They rule Corsi. They they are very, very good at controlling the puck um, and getting shots on net. Like, they do that super, super well, and right now, Mrazek is starting to come out of his shell. He's playing really well, and that was evident in the four nothing loss that I also went to, which probably might be the worst game I've ever 
attended as a fan. Um, and the 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 recent overtime loss where you know Mrazek just was stopping everything and they couldn't get anything past him. And I really do not want to see this team have to face him plus the possession um, that the Carolina, I guess, um, uh, uses they, that, that they, they can control. It's just, I don't think that's a very good matchup for Pittsburgh. I think a lot of people in the fan base and media uh, nationwide agree with that. And I think the first round draw for the Islander or to get the Islanders uh, rather is, is really the best option in my opinion. So I, I totally agree with you. And just like a little tidbit, I, I'm going to, this might be again, another dead horse that is being beaten, but uh, the playoff system is garbage <laughs> and I'm really, really over the whole playing your rival in the playoffs because, and I forget who wrote this today, but I, I totally agree with it. And I wish I could, uh, you know, cite it, but my memory is, is not so great. <laughs> not what it once was. Not what it once was. Yes. Um, but I'm really tired of a Capitals Penguin second round matchup. Like it's so I'm so bored with it. Like yes, both teams are very good. Um they have a history. I really like rubbing it in the faces of Cavs fans that, you know, the Penguins other than last year, which uh, one out of what, nine or so or whatever, however many playoff matchups or playoff series matchups they've had, you've they've won one. So yippee for you. But like it's so it's so tired. It's so stale. I'm I'm so bored by it. Like the fact that I know that if the Penguins do win their first series, or first round series, that it's gonna be the Capitals again. Like for what is this now? The third, fourth time in a row, mm-hmm. something like that. I just it's so I can't. Oh, <laughs> like, that's my rant for today. I'm I'm really bored. The playoff system is stupid and dumb and. I think the rant is justified because, I mean, now that uh, some other team, now that the Bruins and the, the Maple Leafs and the, Can- the Canadians, the Lightning, I've seen players from, from, I've seen quotes from players from other teams start to complain. I think Toronto was the most prominent uh, mm-hmm. in terms of their players really complaining about the playoff system. Right. And, you know, I, I agree. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's become predictable you know, to know every spring that the, the Penguins and the Capitals are more than likely going to meet in the second round. Yeah. And that, that goes for, you mentioned the Leafs, that goes for the Leafs as well. They're, they're I think the projections right now are a hundred percent that it's going to be Boston Toronto again, which was the same matchup that we got last year in the first round. Like it's, it's maddening. And imagine a Penguins Leafs first round matchup. That would be so fun. And it'd be so fresh in a team that, you know, because they're in the Atlantic division, the Penguins don't play as often. But we see the Capitals all the friggin' time. (laughs) It's so, I can't, I just wish that it would finally be changed. I I don't know. I I can't, I can't deal with it anymore, Garrett. I just can't. You know, a one to eight, two to seven, um, what is it? Four to five, two to three. See, is that how that goes? Anyway, the, <laughs> the point the, the point remains, as I very evidently cannot do like simple math, but the the point still remains. And, and I agree with you. I think having those Atlantic match, matchups in the first round for the Penguins, while it may, you know, very well lead to, you know, shortening probably four or five years off my life because... <laughs> 
you know, having the Penguins play the 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 Leafs, uh, you know, Crosby going up against Tavares and Matthews going up against Malkin, you know, I may, I I like I said, I may have a couple of years shaved off my life because of the anxiety. I still I agree. I think that would be an incredibly fresh matchup. You don't know what to expect because the Leafs have obviously been a powerhouse throughout the. Uh, throughout the Atlantic uh, division this year. The same goes for the Bruins. Had it not been for the Lightning's miraculous season, I think more eyes would definitely, more eyes and talking points would definitely be on the season that the Leafs are having with this being Tavares' first year in in Toronto. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm all for a change to the NHL's playoff system. Will it happen? I mean... Probably not. Probably not. Knowing how this league operates, you know, which is a shame. I mean, if if enough players, maybe if enough players can can complain, maybe that puts a dent into how the NHL operates um, operates the the postseason seating. Uh, maybe it's something they talk about at the uh, the GM meetings or owner meetings in the off season or what have you. But yeah, as of right now, the the uh, things are going to remain the same and. Now all we have to do is basically hope for that 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 the Penguins meet the Capitals in the second round. Uh, either that, or wait for the Senators and Vancouver and the Red Wings and the Sabers and the Panthers. You you see what I'm getting at? Decide to get better and create different <laughs> matchups. Which, come on, like <laughs> it's not it's not gonna happen. It's gonna be the same six teams every single time and <laughs> until maybe 10 years from now when all their prospects decide to develop into superstars and be great and i don't know i just i i need to stop because <laughs> i could talk about i could i could complain about this forever um but just to tie things up because uh we really do have that great interview with Seth and we really want you to hear it um and i'm sure you're tired of me complaining about the playoff system Um, Just a couple more things. Um, We have Jake Lucchini, who joined Wilkes-Barre last, I want to say two weeks ago, potentially shorter time frame from that. Uh, But yesterday, Wilkes-Barre Scranton also put out a press release saying that they signed uh, two college players to ATO contracts as well. Um, They are Boston College's uh, captains, actually, Michael Kim and Chris Brown. So there's some more housekeeping for you. The reason I mention this is because I think it was Monday I put out a sort of prospect, uh, the future of the lineup uh, and roster of the Penguins uh, piece, specifically mentioning Nikita Pavelchev of my alma mater, Penn State. So, um, yeah, just some housekeeping things to see where the prospect system is heading, to see um, the fresher names and the young guys coming into the farm system and, uh, you know, looking uh, for the future if you missed that that did happen yesterday and now you know i'm very excited for people to hear this interview i'm sure you are too and i'm sure they're tired of hearing us talk i am i'm tired of hearing myself talk (laughs) (laughs) absolutely uh i'm gonna i'm gonna get out of your way you're gonna get out of my way we have wrapped up everything in this intro like kate said we have a fantastic interview lined up with the athletic seth rohrabaugh so here it is here is our interview with Seth Rohrabaugh, we hope you enjoy.
Our guest for this episode of the Pennsburg Podcast is a wonderful contributor for the Athletic Pittsburgh. He is the one and only Seth Rohrabaugh. Seth, how are you tonight? Very well, very well. Yourself? I'm doing really well, thanks. Seth, here is uh, our first question for you. How many foreign language iterations for ICE do you have left in your repertoire? <laughs> well, I've downloaded a, uh, an app that just uh, just translate and I literally type in the ice semicolon or actually colon the ice colon and then I throw it in there and I kind of been doing it in reverse alphabetical order so I'm I think I'm somewhere in the J's right now so I might be coming <laughs> up on Japanese right now I think it, it might be the next one I'm not quite sure but uh, um, whatever's left from J to A I, that's what I have left for whatever reason I just even going back to like when they were still playing at the Mellon Arena Civic Arena I was I would go to the Zamboni Gate and uh, from my old blog, I would just like post pictures around the building or even outside the building and just, you know, and this is all well before, you know, say Twitter or Instagram really kind of, you know, were, were as big as they are now and just try to show people like, you know, what this place looks like, you know, inside and outside and, you know, give a view of it. And, um, you know, and, and I eventually, you know, that kind of stuff faded away, you know, as, you know, maybe Twitter and Instagram kind of came into more prominence, and, but I would always just do the ice. I always just did the ice and I started doing on, on my own Twitter account and, um, it kind of, kind of got bored just saying the ice every single time. So, um, I just decided why not just do it in every single language I can, I can come up with. So I downloaded the, the translator and I started doing it in different languages. I'm going to be honest with you. It took me a while to understand like what you were doing at first. <laughs> like I was like, I don't know if he's just actually tweeting out gibberish with a picture of the ice at PPG, but then it started to make sense. So I, I really, I really enjoy it. Yeah. I, I don't, I think some people like there, there's characters that like, you know, won't show up depending on what kind of browser you're using. If you're using like a desktop or, or a laptop or a phone. So sometimes it might just come up with like random blocks of like untranslated text, but the, uh, I, I can I can understand the you know the confusion sometimes. In that. <laughs> um, sticking with your pregame shenanigans, um, what's the most random jersey you've seen a fan wear to a game? Um, I, I, the one answer I would say was Steve Gannett, who was like this random just 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 scrub goaltender for the Penguins in the 1980s, <laughs> and it was in Columbus of all places. You know, I, I know Columbus is only three hours, but I, I have to imagine any venue, anyone wearing a Steve Gannett jersey from like 1984, 85 <laughs> would be just a really random, just off the wall occurrence. But, and it was like one of those old like mesh jerseys with like the screen printing too, <laughs> um, where it's like if you wash it once, like the, the the paint would like fade away. So. Um, no, that, that one always stands out to me just because it's Steve Gannett and maybe less so because it was in Columbus, but, uh, no, that, that would be tops on my list. Seth, I guess we'll, we'll move on to some actual penguin hockey talk here. Some past AHL guys who have come up and really impacted the penguins, uh, which have obviously led to the Stanley cup runs, uh, guys like Brian Rust and Connor Sherry and Jake Gensel have obviously left impacts on the Penguins as it relates to depth scoring. And they've obviously filled important roles for the Penguins as they gear towards playoff runs. Specifically speaking, looking at um, a guy like Teddy Bluger, do you foresee Teddy Bluger with the impact that he's made with the big club this season? Do you think he'll have a similar role next season? Or And again, looking at uh, the, the end of this regular season and heading into this playoff run, does he really have a spot in the lineup when everyone gets healthy? Well, first off, I would say no No one's ever always going to be healthy. You know, for four months we thought, oh, when Justin Schultz is healthy, the Penguins defense will be this, this, and this. Well, then, like, Crystal Tang, Brian Dillman, and Ole Mata all went out of the lineup when that <laughs> happened. So, 
Um, I think that's just a fact of life that, you know, you're never always going to be completely healthy unless maybe day one of the season. Then it's just kind of, you know, you, you hope every, as many people as possible can survive. But in a perfect world, if everyone is healthy, um, I would assume he maybe just goes back to the, to the fourth line, um, you know, where Adam Johnson is kind of, you know, doing things right now on the wing opposite with, with Matt Cullen there. Um, and I would assume, say, Zach Aston Reese comes back to the lineup, maybe he fits in on that third line. Uh, with like you know, in place of Dominic Simone, as much as the coaches do like Dominic Simone, that they, they weren't afraid to make him a healthy scratch at times this year. So, um, so I mean that would probably be just a, maybe a rough shot look at how I would maybe put the lineup together just based on that. But um, as far as you know, you know what his future might be with the organization, I think it's pretty clear cut. I mean, I, I think it's you know in the immediate sense he's maybe either a third or a fourth line center, um, depending on you know what they want to do with say Nick Bukestad or Jared McCann, but. Um, you have to assume this is it for Matt Cullen finally. I, mean, I know this is maybe his fourth or fifth final season in the NHL, but um, you have to imagine that, that fourth line center position will be open next season, and that strikes me as a perfect place to use Teddy Bluger. Um, but in the meantime, you know, he's made the most of, you know, I think of you know this temporary assignment on the second line center in place of Skinny Malkin was, you know, an absolute huge player against the New York Rangers the other night, and um, it has really just filled in well there in, in that area as well, but also um, the penalty kills as well, too. I mean, he gets a shorthanded goal the other night, and um, that was something that really kind of uh, cemented his status with Wilkes-Barre Scranton the last year, was becoming a penalty killer, too. So, um, no, I mean, Teddy Bluger definitely has a future with the Penguins. Um, you just maybe have to kind of figure out where other things sort out with the other centers on the lineup. But, uh, um, no, he, he's going to be part of this team for the foreseeable future for a few years to come. Uh, continuing on with like the roster um, itself, um, I know we talk a, a lot about how great the Jared McCann and Nick Bugstad trade was. Um, we like to coin it as uh, receiving a better number 19, <laughs> the 19 <laughs> that we originally hoped for. But my question to you is, what do you think both Jared McCann and Nick Bugstad are doing specifically to stand out in the roster so much? And why do you think they're having so much success? I think they've adopted their roles uh, or just embraced them much more than Derek Broussard ever did. Uh, you know, when, when the Penguins brought in Derek Broussard, I mean, you know, okay, yes, he was a, he was a top six center and they were going to use him as number three. And to me, I, I think you can expect a player of that ilk to adopt a lesser role and have him deliver much easier when it's just, you know, coming off, you know, a, you know, a bad team like he did from Ottawa and uh, throw him into the fire of a Stanley cup chase and, you can get by on that adrenaline for, you know, the three or four months that that might go on if you are successful in pursuing the Stanley Cup. I, you know, Bill Guerin, I think that was largely what got him through uh, that run with the Penguins in 2009. But when you go to a whole other season, when you expect that player to really be a number three center, when he really is a number two center, and you expect him to play lesser minutes and adopt a lesser role and play with lesser teammates, that enthusiasm just isn't going to be there when it's November and it's a Tuesday night and you're playing the Florida Panthers or the Carolina Hurricanes or just any ho-hum game on the schedule. So um, I'm not saying, you know, Derek Broussard and his lack of enthusiasm this season was acceptable, but I can understand it. Um, now that said, you know, when you bring in Jared McCann and Nick Bukestad, I always have to say, catch myself because I want to say Scott Bukestad because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a geek about this stuff and I always think about his uncle, but Nick Bukestad, um, they come from a, from just a, a dire, not dire, but just a, just a ugly situation in Florida where they're almost never contending for playoffs, let alone the Stanley Cup. Um, they get thrown in, into the mix with the Penguins, uh, who are going definitely going for another Stanley Cup run. Um, there's juice there. There's enthusiasm there when, they, when you go from that situation. And um, Those guys, I mean, they've been up and down the lineup, you know, going from first line, second line, third line, uh, in all types of situations. But um, 
the bottom line is they're in a situation where they can win the Stanley Cup, whereas before they weren't. So I think they've adapted to their to their uh, their situations with the Penguins, you know, playing those types of roles. And I think that's really what's given them maybe a leg up in, in really uh, uh, having so much success early on with the Penguins, much more so than Derek Broussard and maybe to a lesser extent Riley Shahan as well. But um, to me, I just think they've embraced the, their roles much, much uh, with a lot of enthusiasm, uh, much more so than Derek Broussard ever did. Um, specifically talking about Jared McCann, um, I know that Jim Rutherford has gone on record saying that he has been really high on Jared McCann ever since he was first drafted into the league. Um, and even in McCann's first interview as a Pittsburgh Penguin, uh, after all the chaos of them arriving in Pittsburgh and playing literally 10 minutes or so after they got to the arena, and um, just his first interview, his first genuine interview where he was asked about how he's fitting in in the team, like his answers were very technical. They were very um, all about like systems talk and being very specific on his positioning and where to get to in each zone and how to play the, the system that the Penguins play. Do you notice that he's not obviously not similar to Cindy uh, Crosby's level, but he's, he's so successful because of his youth and his willingness to learn um, being that you're around them more often. Do you get that sort of gauge with him personality wise? Yeah, yeah, and I think I might go back to just you know as I mentioned the enthusiasm of going from a you know non-playoff situation to a playoff situation from Florida to Pittsburgh. But um, no, he he seems to embrace anything they've given to him, and he seems to have embraced even down to like the granular level as you're as you're maybe suggesting there. Um, you know, he he's very enthusiastic about just just trying to take on that role and trying something and, and, you know, trying to make the most of it. You know, he, you know, he's a center, but, you know, they use him on the wing and he ends up, you know, looking like a very nice complimentary piece to Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel. Um, they use him at center sometimes and he's very, you know, enthusiastic about doing that. Um, the PK work, he didn't really get that much PK time in Florida. I mean, he was averaging, I think was, I looked this up for a story the other day. He was getting like, like 59 seconds a game in Florida. And now the Penguins are using him and he's up to like 145 or something like that. And um, he's been, you know, lights out there he's got like four shorthanded goals including one he got in florida earlier this season so um no he's he's definitely taking this opportunity and run with it and i remember when when we had the press conference with jim rutherford up in cranberry the day of the trade and trades and um uh even uh, the trade deadline i'm saying and i remember you know him talking about the uh, uh, mccann and you know, the the thing that really stood out to me is like, you know, Scott Bucet was probably Nick Bucet. Geez, there I go. I caught, I caught <laughs> Nick Bucet was the one that everyone kind of looked at like, okay, yeah, he's a former first round pick, 20 goal guy. Okay. And his uncle played here in Pittsburgh. He's maybe the one that had the most name value uh, to, to a lot of us here, or just, I think people in general here in Pittsburgh and everyone kind of overlooked McCann, even though he was a first round pick with Vancouver a couple years ago. But um, you know, Jim almost kind of you know looked at Bucet as kind of like a throw-in, I think, and, and really was raving about McCann. I'm like, really? You know, is this the guy you're really going to focus on? And and we see why. I mean, he's he's clearly been the better player of the two, and that's not to say Bucet's played poorly, but I think it's fair to say McCann has made the biggest impact, and um, I think it really comes down to the fact that he's willing to embrace anything and everything the Penguins are asking him to do right now. Seth, one of the things I caught you while you were uh, explaining that last answer was uh, McCann and his impact on the penalty kill. And I, I, I want to correlate that into what the Penguins have done. Really, it's been a fascinating turnaround to watch this team on the penalty kill and in turn watch them score these shorthanded goals that are seemingly coming in bunches after we look at the beginning of the season where it seems like Every other game, the, the Penguins were allowing a, a shorthanded goal or multiple shorthanded goals to the opposition. From your opinion, from your view for covering this team, 
what do you think has really led to this transformation on the penalty kill? And in turn, what has led to this team all of a sudden scoring all of these shorthanded goals? Well, I wrote about this after the game Monday in New York, and um, that was when Teddy Bluger scored the shorthanded goal in that game. And, but, um, and I, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I just kind of asked the team, I asked Mike Sullivan, and, and really it just came down to who they're using on the penalty kill, namely the forwards. Uh, if you look, you know, they didn't have a shorthand goal until uh, December 14th. And, you know, you know, so for the first two and a half months, they zero offense from the, from the penalty kill. And, um, and really that was maybe kind of right around the point where they started changing some things around. They were making some trades, you know, calling guys off, et cetera. And, you know, they started using, say, Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel a little bit more in the PK. Basically, they just started using guys on the penalty kill forwards that can score. Um, you know, beforehand they had Derek Grant and, you know, Riley Shahan and, and Carl Haglin, and, you know, those guys are good penalty killers. I just don't know that they're necessarily all gifted when it comes to scoring. Um, and, you know, and we all know what Carl Haglin can do. I mean, there's two Stanley Cup banners uh, hanging in the rafters, uh, as you know, because he contributed to that. But I don't think anyone would ever accuse him of being a, a gifted offensive talent um, in terms of, you know, putting the puck in the net. And um, But, uh, you know, you look at some of these guys, you know, Zach Aston Reese, you know, he got called up, and he was, you know, if you recall, down in Wilkes-Barre for the first, I want to say, month or month and a half of the season. Um, he scored the first shorthand goal for them this season. And, you know, he's been out of the lineup, but he's contributed there. Uh, Matt Cullen, remember, he missed like, uh, I don't want to say, like maybe a month or so this season when he got injured in Ottawa. Um, once he got back in the lineup, started getting healthy, he started contributing there. Uh, Brian Russ, once he started getting, you know, got past that scoring slump early in the season. Uh, but then you look at Jared McCann's in there. You know, Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby contributed on a goal. Uh, Crystal Tang even got a goal, albeit on an empty net situation. So, um, basically, they started just using guys that can score more on the on the penalty kill up front. That's been pretty steady as far as who's go, who's used there. Um, even with some of the trades and a lot of the injuries they've dealt with recently on the blue line, that's been pretty steady. But really, um, they've gone on, they've undergone a pretty significant change in terms of who gets time on the penalty kill, uh, whether it be through trades or just simple lineup changes. And um, uh, I think that's really what's led to them being a, a force offensively when they're on the PK. Um, Seth, switching gears a little bit uh, more towards defense, um, a lot of the times the question that we get, especially lately with how tight the postseason rates has been um, when it comes to points, um, we are wondering your opinion on if the decision to keep starting Matt Murray and giving him the workload that he has undergone is a smart decision considering the position the Penguins are in, um, but seeing as though they probably have a playoff spot locked down, do you expect to see DeSmith in these last few games or so? I would anticipate it. Uh, I, you know, first off, I would say Matt Murray. I think it has been smart to kind of give him a heavier workload here, just for the simple fact it has you know cemented their place in the playoff lineup. Um, if you recall, when they first gave him that kind of back-to-back start situation, it was the, the game in Buffalo. And then the next night they were in Montreal. Um, you know, that was really maybe kind of the start of this little surge they've been on, even with some of the issues in terms of giving up, you know, the, the one goal leads late in, game, late in games and stuff like that. Um, this little run they've been on, you know, memory's been fantastic. And I think it's really pushed them into contention for the division crown. Whereas, you know, before they were maybe just, you know, almost on the outside looking in of the playoff picture with the wild card team. So from that standpoint, I think it has been smart. And, and from another standpoint, it's, I think it's really challenged Matt Murray and it's, challenge him to bring his game to a different level that really hasn't been for a consistent basis through the first five, six months of the season. So, um, no, I, I, you know, nothing's secure yet. I mean, obviously they don't have that X next to their name yet, but uh, I think it is, as you say, fair to mention, fair to say that they pretty much do have a playoff spot locked up. And, um, 
And I think, you know, from, you know, to me, I, maybe you put Casey Smith in if you get to a game where there's nothing else to gain or lose, you know, maybe the last game of the year or whatever, the shirts off their back game tends to be that type of game. But, um, but uh, no, I, I really, I, I would write Matt Murray as long as he's playing like this uh, down these, what, final five, six games of the regular season and let him, you know, really fine tune his game. But I mean, you look at that game in Dallas where they get the one goal lead late and you're kind of expecting, oh no, here we go again. They're going to give up a goal. And, <laughs> He took that as a challenge, and he made some just – I mean, that was probably his best individual regular season period, I would argue, uh, when you consider the stakes and, and just the performance and everything Dallas kind of threw at him in that situation. And to me, that really signaled to me that Matt Murray's ready to really give this a go in the postseason once again. When we were uh, discussing the, the likes of Teddy Pluger and, and Nick Bukestad and Jared McCann, when we were discussing these fresh faces here who are now motivated ahead of what is presumably going to be – uh, a playoff run for the Penguins. You know, you know, we look at the players' excitement, you know, coming into this new environment, this new atmosphere, knowing what the Penguins have accomplished over the last couple of years, obviously, with the two championships. But here's a question that I really don't think gets asked a lot for, for a guy like you, Seth. From, from the media's perspective, what is it like to cover uh, a Stanley Cup run? You know, obviously, everyone here in Pittsburgh has been incredibly uh, incredibly lucky and fortunate to witness the, the, what the Penguins have done over the last couple of years. What's it like from your view, how, how you um, like to experience these hopefully long playoff runs? Um, it's fun. It's fun. I can't deny that. I mean, you do get kind of jaded and cynical and everything like that. It's fun, but it can be exhausting too, because if the team you cover, or, or if you're a national guy just covering the whole entire situation, um, it can be exhaustion, and, and you can also sometimes just forget about your life. I remember two, uh, three years ago when they won the Cup in San Jose, I think right around when the second round ended against Washington, I got a letter from the water company telling me, I hadn't paid my bill and it was going to be shut off unless I sent a payment. I just totally forgot about little mundane things in life like that because I was trying to worry about this thing that goes on every single day for two months, it seems like. so. And um, it's it's a challenge, but it, it's it's definitely something that you look back and you're like, wow, I did all this. And, you know, you know, hopefully you, you think you did a good job, and I think I have in the past. Um, having done it a couple of times, going back to 08 and 09 with the two cup finals in Detroit, uh, you know, make no mistake. A lot of us locally, you know, we're not flying first class when we go to these places. You know, we're driving, especially if it's like Detroit five hours or if it's New York or Washington or, or wherever. Um, those are all drives. A lot of your time you're spending in a car. Um, when you do maybe get to those uh, further distant locations like Ottawa, Tampa, San Jose, Nashville, that's maybe a, that's a, that's a flight. Uh, but uh, it, it's an exhausting uh, process, but it's, it's definitely a rewarding process. Um, it really challenges you, uh, it, you know, when, when you're a writer, I can't really speak for people who work in the radio or television industries, but when you're a writer, it really challenges you to come up with unique storylines. So you're not just regurgitating the same, oh, we just got to get the pucks deep and, you know, work hard and, you know, things will work out. You know, you, you really have to kind of challenge yourself to kind of come up with uh, uh, new and unique storylines in, in that type of situation, that environment, and, and really kind of avoid some of those cliche topics. But, uh, um, no, long story short, it, it's fun, but it can be exhausting. Seth, uh, I want to thank you. Thank you for taking the time to to join us here. Uh, the insight and the, and the questions we asked you, especially about the the Jersey watch and uh, <laughs> the, the ice, the um, the ice translations. That that was awesome because you know I, we follow you on Twitter and you know we see every game night you know all of these fancy languages and you know these slick pictures of the backs of people just watching <laughs> all of these crazy players you know that probably here for anywhere from three games to a season it's just all of it all of it's just so fun and it adds to the experience of of watching a, a penguins game here night in and night out 
it's funny. I can maybe tweet out the the cure for any sort of insidious disease that would you know save mankind. But people were like, "Oh, I saw a Brian Smolinski jersey." So, uh, but uh, if that's my calling card, that that's fine. That's a pretty good calling card to have. So I appreciate that those kind words, and I appreciate you guys having me on tonight. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Seth, for coming Thanks, on. Seth. No sweat. Take care. That was Seth Rorabaugh from The Athletic. Awesome, Kate. It was awesome to get his insight. Like I said, right at the end of the interview, it, it was fascinating to get the origins of the linguistic lesson from from Seth and, and the, how the Jersey Watch has has evolved over the years. It, it was just awesome to, you know, finally hear those stories because, you know, I had followed Seth on social media, as I'm sure you did, and mm-hmm. a, a lot of other people who really enjoyed his work in the past. And now, obviously, he's writing for The Athletic. have enjoyed his work so much. Just to finally get, you know, a little bit of, of backstory is always a fun thing for me. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I was so excited to ask him the the Jersey question simply because, like, I know, like, like, like in my brain, I know that he is sneaking behind people with these jerseys. That's the taking, best part. Yeah. And taking pictures of them. And they have no idea. And it's the greatest thing ever. And I'm so happy we finally got him on the podcast because he has such fun insight that and he's so like uh, fun as a person just like the way in which he conducts his pregame uh, uh i called them shenanigans which i think is pretty accurate um but yeah it's just a, 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 a hilarious thing that <laughs> i'm really glad that we got to ask him all right and kate i think i think that'll just about do it for this episode of the pensburg podcast uh before we get out of here i i guess there's a couple of more house cleaning things we have to we have to fill out um Let's plug our social media channels, Kate. Where can the fine folks who listen to this wonderful podcast find you on all the different social media channels? Um, if you are dying to hear me complain about the playoffs <laughs> more, uh, I am on Twitter, obviously, um, at Kate Divi. That is at K-A-I-T-D-I-V-I. And then, of course, um, I, I run social for Pennsburg, so come talk to me, come chat with me during games. I love to talk to people. If you you give me comments um, or fun little jabs at me on social media, I'll I'll fight back or we'll have some fun. So don't be a dick, <laughs> serious. Don't be a dick to Kate. You know you you have yeah. civilized conversation. <laughs> I'm a really nice person, and there's a person behind. No, I'm kidding. I don't <laughs> conduct yourself however you want, and I'll I'll call you out if I feel like it. <laughs> You can find Kate there. You can find myself on Twitter if you'd like at GBehanna, at G-B-E-H-A-N-N-A. You can find new episodes of the podcast when they get released. We have our very own Twitter account. You can find that at PensburgPod, at PensburgPod. Feel free to send us uh, any kind of correspondences there, whether it be listener questions or feedback through Twitter. Uh, We also have an email address as well if you'd like to send anything to our email address which is uh, pensburgpodcast at gmail.com. If you like what you're listening to, uh, feel free to give us a a, a nice five-star rating on your streaming service of choice, whether that be iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. I don't know. I feel like they're coming out with new streaming services every week, so (laughs) I'm behind on all of this crazy technology. But anywhere you can listen to podcasts, that's probably where this episode of the Pensburg Podcast is going. Kate, I think that would just about do it, unless you have anything else to add. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm there too. Please don't be sh uh, shy to use that email. I mean, we have a, a couple great guests that we're, we're lining up for the future and we're really excited about, but definitely let us know if there is any specific either former player or, or media person that you would love to, you know, bend their ear. Um, we'll be more than happy to, to try and set that up. So don't be shy. Use the email. Uh, be nice to me on social media. Uh, and that's about it. Give us five stars. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that, you know, I'd always love to incorporate more, more listener feedback, if at all possible. So like Kate said, you know, feel free to interact with us on all of our different channels for Pennsburg. Uh, but for Caitlin Dividock, I have been Garrett Behanna. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next week with another great episode of the Pennsburg podcast.